Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. My name is Alex, I'll be one of your guides as we talk through some interesting things to do with maths. And with me, as ever, is... Alaric. Hello. Hello. I thought I'd just say my first name rather than doing the uh, the double name thing that I always do. Yeah, it's faster. Our podcast has been going over an hour recently and we need to save all the time we can, so thank you for that. Yep. So speaking no of expediency, do you want to just do some maths? Yeah, alright. Yeah, okay, how about, uh, just for a change, maybe you start this week? And, uh, and then I'll go, and then you can go again. Good idea. Good idea. Right, let's do some physics. Oh, boy. So, I sent you a message a couple of days ago of a package. Yes, you did. Mm. So, I was trying to safely transport something from work to uh, home to use on the podcast. Have you guessed what it is? From work to home, is it a piece of rolled up paper? No. I've got lots of that at home. I brought two thermometers. I borrowed them from chemistry. And and you stole them from chemistry? I borrowed them from chemistry. A chemistry teacher gave them to me. Oh, interesting. But it turns out it's really hard to transport thermometers. They're long and brittle. They are. Um, so I put them inside a rolled up, like, tube uh, that was Christmas wrapping paper originally. I have uh, calibrated the thermometers against each other. Uh, so when I had a cup of tea yesterday during period one I uh, stuck them both in and I realised that they don't save the same temperature interesting Um, they do at high temperatures and then when it got closer to room temperature they were about a degree out hmm and I don't understand how that could possibly be true right yes because one would imagine that you have a certain amount of mercury oh by the way this is how thermometers work there is a glass tube yep and the way it works is that this liquid metal, as all metals do, expands when it's when it's heated up. As the thermometer gets warmer, which it will do, because the, uh, the zeroth law of thermodynamics says that two things that are in contact with each other will, over an extended period of time, equalize in temperature. Um, so this thermometer will get warmer, uh, which means the glass on the outside will get warmer, and the glass touches the metal on the inside, and then the metal expands because it's warmer, and... It reaches little check marks, and it tells you approximately what the temperature is. Yeah. Of course, it isn't always correct, which we've found out. So, because they say the same temperature at high temperatures, so when it was about 80 degrees, so after water had recently boiled and cooled down a bit, but not the same near room temperature, that must mean that the little cylinder that the gallium is going through is not quite a cylinder. It's slightly cone-shaped. Yes, that could be one way of thinking about it. Because the scale printed on the outside is literally just printed. Like, it's linear. There's no variation there. Right. I've noted which one is slightly higher, though. So we can take that into consideration. Is it the left one? Uh, it could be. <laughs> I, I mean, I, they're swappable. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> it's the one with the faded writing. The one with the, oh, the older one. Or the mm-hmm. one that's been out in the sun for longer. Not sure. Mm. I have no way of testing this. My question is this. Let's say you're making a cup of tea, and we're going to do it where you pour in the water first, and then put in some milk. So you've boiled the water, you've poured it into the mug, and you get the milk out of the fridge, so it's on the side. And let's say that your room is warmer than the inside of your fridge. Yep. And uh, the doorbell rings. Your choices are, do you put in the milk straight away, or do you put in the milk when you come back after having your conversation at the door? 
The goal here is to have your tea as hot as possible when you come back in about 10 minutes. So the problem is that you have milk that is colder than room temperature yep. and tea that is hotter than room temperature. Yes. So there are a few different models for how temperature equalizes. The easiest and simplest one is called the Newton model. And it says that the temperature of an object changes at a rate proportional to the difference between its temperature and the thing that it's in contact with. Yes. Newton's cooling curve. Newton's cooling curve. He was a cool guy and he invented a curve. So therefore, were you to have the same amount of milk and the same amount of tea, one would think that perhaps the best option is... Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Where's your intuition before we actually think about the model? Right, my intuition says slap that milk in. Because, Straight away. Yes, because the tea is going to cool down to room temperature more than the, the milk is. Because the yep. tea is further away from room temperature, so it's going, to, it's going to charge towards room temperature faster. And the milk is, at a slower rate, going to climb towards room temperature. Yeah. I think my intuition is with you. Okay. You're initially cooling it down more, but the milk has to go in there at some point. Right. And to lower it at the start means that the combined mixture has a lower heat... And so it's giving off less energy per time. Yeah. So over the course of the model, it's, the net energy seems like it's lower. Yes. So if you put it in... Hmm. See, the, the thing that seems backwards here is you're trying to make something hot and you're doing it by putting in something cold. And something about that seems off to me. It but does I know seem that off. you're putting in it at some point. The milk has... A certain amount of energy. Yep. And it will gain more. Yep. The tea has a certain amount of energy and it will lose that. Immediately if you combine them, they have the combined total of energy. And it will lose energy at a... You think you think at a, a slower rate. I know exactly the maths I could be doing to solve this, but I actually don't want to get a pencil out. I would rather intuit this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. Because this is just... It's just um, specific heat stuff. You, there is a number for milk and there's a number for water and we can probably approximate them to be the same and you can just say you know, there's this much energy in the milk, this in the tea here's the rates of change of those two energies and then is are they higher when they're together or are they higher when they're not? If we change around some of the, the variables here yeah. if so traditionally the amount of milk you're putting in is much less by volume than the amount of tea that you're putting in, like boiling water Yeah if you were making something that was 90% milk and 10% uh, boiling water, does that change around the maths at all? Uh, and you want it to be as hot as possible. Yeah. Well, I'd say what you would need to do in that circumstance is to put the milk in so the whole thing, when you leave it, will be warming up. Yeah. Because it will start cold in the room temperature when you pour it in, you'd think. Depending on yes. how, but yeah, depending yeah. on how you change, you know, the variables of how much boiling water there is, yeah, and then and, and then it'll heat up over time. I also have another version in my head. What if the way tea works is actually you put in a, uh, you know, the water is cold, and you put in boiling milk. Yep, that's actually the exact same equation as what you just said. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, th- there's nothing intrinsic about milk. 
Yeah. Or water. Yeah, because you're not adding one to the other. That's a that's a distortion in how to think about this. You are merely combining the two. And the temperature will be the mean of the two. Well, like, uh, given the same volume. Weighted so by their specific masses. Yeah. Shall I get some tea going, and then we can come back to it in ten minutes and um, see... In the fridge, I uh, while we were getting everything set up for the podcast, I measured out two 50-milliliter uh, things of water. Um, so that's chilling in the fridge, and it has been going for enough time that I imagine that they're at similar temperatures. I'm going to put on the kettle. This is a very British podcast that we're doing here. Let's not think about it. <laughs> um, so I, I'll put on the kettle. I'll measure out the same amount of boiling water. What do you think is an appropriate ratio of water? Uh, if I've got 50 millilitres of cool water, that's going to be simulating our milk. I don't have any milk in the house. Um, three times as much boiling water? Five times as much. Okay, 250. 250, although that won't fit in a mug, so maybe... do Yeah, three times. Just do three times. I'll do 150. I'll be back in a minute. I'm going to put the kettle on. Okay. Cool. See you in a minute. Bye. Uh, so... Explain to the listeners what you've done. Okay, so in front of me, I, I brought out a tray. I've got two identical mugs. I've got two glasses of water that have been in the fridge. Both of them have 50 milliliters of water in, so a double shot. Uh, I've boiled the kettle, and at the moment the boiling, well, almost boiling water is in the kettle, not in the mugs. Uh, one of the problems here is when I pour it out, I'm going to be pouring one of them slightly before the other. That's not a problem. Okay. Uh, I've also got a little measuring cup. So I'm going to do 150 millilitres of water into both. Okay. So I'm going to do that now. Okay. So then you'll combine the cold water with one of the boiling waters and not the other. We will wait a certain number of minutes and then we'll add the other one and then we'll see what the result is. Yeah. Okay. The boiling water is in both of the mugs and... Let's add in the cold water to one of them straight away. We judged it just right in uh, amounts here. Nice. So a teacup is 200 millilitres. It's got a little room at the top, but 250 would have definitely been too much. Mm, Good to know. Right. Thermometers are going in. Let's let them rest for a minute. Get up to temperature. Are you worried that the thermometers will cool the object? No, but the thermometers have been in the same environment. Okay. I didn't boil one. Okay. Oh, it's a controlled experiment. Yep. It's nice to be doing science. I don't do many experiments in my life. Yeah, and so which one of mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games is this, Alaric? Um, it's got some numbers in. Yeah, it's mathematics, isn't it? <laughs> Bad best you have a physics do. degree. We're allowed to go physics. It's mathematical science. I'm doing differential equations with my favorite mathematicians at the moment, and uh, I've been thinking a lot about Ds, of which this is one. Hmm. Shall we move on to the next topic, and we can come back to this okay. once uh, stuff has happened? Sure. Uh, let's just note the time, so we can uh, see. 27. Yep, 27 past. 27 past 8 in the evening. Yeah, that's the lie. I'm in Dubai at the moment, actually, so I forgot to mention this episode is being recorded on the second day of a current affair that's going on at the moment. Uh, I've already written the name of the puzzle in our show notes, so Alaric's probably already seen it. But, uh, Alaric, can you take a guess as to 
what uh, is currently going on at the moment. Well, you've written Olympic ranking, and I'm assuming this is the Winter Olympics. Yes. The winter... I saw the Google Doodle, and it had a tortoise in sporty equipment. So this was my clue that something Olympics was going. So I thought of this problem a week ago, not knowing that the Winter Olympics were going to start yesterday. So, very topical, accidentally, I wasn't really even thinking about this. But So here we go. Every year, people argue online as to who really won the Olympics. And by that I mean, like, the medal table for countries. Yeah. So a standard argument goes that China wins, or the USA wins, normally one of the two, because they got the most medals. Are you going to be doing a uh, per-population thing here? Well, so then the next argument goes, "Mm, well, you know, the laws of probability distribution state that perhaps it's something more to do with the amount of population you have. So... China's does so well because they have more than a billion people in the country and so therefore they have a broader pool of people to select from and, you know, variance is probably the same as humans elsewhere so that just means that you're more likely to find an absolute superstar in your selection pool. Yep. Um, The trouble is, to correct for that, the standard argument is you must therefore divide by total population. And when that happens... Tonga wins, or like North Korea, or someone like that, where they they have an absurd number of medals for the number of people doing it, but normally it's just like one weightlifter who wins one gold medal, but their population is just so small that that shoots them to the top of the ranking table. Yep. That is suboptimal as well. Um, Why is that suboptimal? That's a good question. It feels innately unsatisfying. Yeah, um, okay. Because it is amplified noise essentially. What we're looking for is a trend. Yeah. And not just, you know, variation blown up to... You could do it over time. That gives you more data, and so you get less uh, funny things. So if you do it medals over history, um, and you can factor in whether they competed in the Olympics or not. So Mm. you do it... uh, uh, No, the problem there is different Olympics are different numbers of sports. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. true. Um, like there are lots of sports that are no longer part of it, like um, the horse high jump or uh, the obstacle race with swimming. These are discontinued Olympic sports. <laughs> the obstacle race with swimming. I didn't realise that was a thing. They should bring that back. <laughs> um, yeah, and also another reason that the medals table might be slightly skewed, and this is just a philosophically from my perspective with regards to the Olympics, is that there are a number of sports to which you can really max out medals with the, the small number of people various different types of running and various different types of swimming one of the reasons that america does so well is because michael phelps just cleans up in all the different variations of swimming right and you get similar people in other sports britain always does well in all the cycling ones and all the sailing ones mm. um and it's just small variations on it yeah and and you know running as well you know if you have if you have a sprinter they can win the 100 the 200 and the 4x100 and probably the 4x200 if they've got a good team as well which seems a little unfair, but I don't think we should try and correct for that too much. Yep. The weightlifters, typically, there's about three different ways of doing weightlifting as well. But I'm not sure I'm completely aware of any overlap between the people who do them. Just because you need a very specific body type for the clean and jerk than, than you do for the deadlift or whatever. 
Yep. So there must be some nice in-between between the medals table, as it stands, and the divide by population. Yep. And it feels a little unfair to just cut off countries below a certain population, which would be, you know, one one potential solution there. Yep. Uh, like, it'd be hugely political where you drew the line. If you wanted to make your country seem better, you just draw it under your country. Yeah, exactly. So the UK did really well in the, in the 2012 and the 2016 Olympics because we, you know, we hosted 2012, so we pumped a lot of money into it, and then we, we, we reaped those rewards in 2016 as well, which makes you think that maybe the UK is up there. But if you do the population analysis, it turns out like New Zealand and the Netherlands do particularly well. So I, I've got it up for the 2012 Olympics. Uh, so England came in uh, 22nd. So uh, this is Great Britain. It competes as Great Britain rather than the UK or England. Sure. Uh, it comes as in 22nd per capita. Right. And who so was first per capita? Granada. Granada. That famed sporting nation. Well, you see the... <laughs> uh, quite a lot of the Caribbean islands do quite well in this. So Jamaica is second, then Trinidad and Tobago, then the Bahamas. That kind of makes sense. Lots of runners. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that does make sense. Bobsled, obviously. Yeah. Um, this is starting to make me think that perhaps there needs to be something about the distribution across different sports. I, I've, I've just looked at the stats. Granada won one medal. Yes. Um, what medal was it? Uh, I don't know. It was a running thing. I haven't got it up. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm on my website. It's the very first article I ever wrote. Oh, really? Yeah. Dubai, yeah. And, um, Jamaica got 12 medals, so there's a much bigger population. I think Jamaica is big enough to be deserving of potentially the top spot. You know, that feels right for some reason. I don't know the population of Jamaica. What is it, like 7 million or something like that? Um, 2.9 million. 2.9. It's big. It's not insignificant. So that feels right, but we haven't really stuck any proper, proper real heuristics on this. This isn't just a problem with sport. This is a problem when you're trying to compare countries on any metric. So you often get funny things with, say, the Vatican City, because it has such a small population. Or if you're doing, like, helipads per person, you get crazy stats. Right, or um, Bhutan has particularly high cable TV pickup, because yep. they're in the mountains and there's more. Yeah. Uh, I've got Nobel Prizes per capita up. And uh, the Faroe Islands wins. The Faroe Islands aren't actually a, a country, so I'm not quite sure why it's in there. No. But then St. Lucia, then Luxembourg. Like, it, you have to go down a few until you get to a country where they've got more than one winner. Right. And so this is making me think that there is a standard noise floor for all countries. Hmm. And additionally, small countries, if they have one person competing, they are going to sink their entire Olympic budget into that one person. <laughs> They're presumably quite small Olympic budget. Right. But per capita, that Olympic budget might be quite good. Which mm. makes me think that maybe you should be dividing by Olympic budget per capita. Ooh, that's a good metric. Yeah, because that would wheedle I... out those ones. But I'm assuming it's collected data as well. I'm assuming we have the um, Olympic budgets per country. Mm, the budget they've fudged a bit. Budget spend, yeah. It's nearly time to measure that T. Yeah, sh should we have a... So, I haven't added the second water yet. Um, let's look at the temperatures so far. Sure. One of them, the one where I added the water, is at 38.5. Okay. 
Uh, the other one is at 45 and a half. The one where you didn't add the water? Yeah. Okay. Should we add the water? Yeah, so well, mm-hmm. uh, well, let's just very quickly. The one where you added the water is at 38 and a half. The other one is at... 45 and a half. 45 and a half. So the one where you added the water is cooler. Yeah. Good. As it should be. As it should be. Um, let's let's add the water. And the thermometer isn't instant. So let's uh, let's give it a minute. Yeah, the other one's at about 37 and a half. Whereas this one's at about 38 and a half. The problem here is the one which is about a degree hotter is the one where I know it's about a degree out. Well, that's good. You've managed to correct for your own errors. <laughs> so it's looking like both cups of tea are about the same temperature. So it's probably the same. Hmm. There must be a difference here. Must there be, Alloy? They're outputting a different amounts of energy into the room. So the one which was hotter overall should have been kicking out lots of heat energy. Yeah. While it's cool water on the side wasn't zapping that much heat energy out of the room. But maybe the one that's boiling water and cold, separate, maybe the two differences, because the cold is warming up and the boiling water is cooling down faster than it would have done combined, but maybe that difference is the same as if they were combined, right? So maybe the energy gained by the cold water is about the same as the energy lost by the hot water extra. Mm, That seems too neat. I, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. But there's, given that the hot water is a lot hotter than the room, and the cool water was only slightly cooler than the room, it feels like there's a massive asymmetry to this. Right. Yeah, it does. Um, I think we should leave this one to the listener. Hmm. Get out your pencils, pens, write a very small C next to a temperature, and uh, solve this problem for us. Hmm. Uh, use the Newton model. Yep. I, I know there are, I know there are better models, but let's stick to the basics. Yeah, we're not doing heat equation stuff here. We're assuming that because it's losing most of its temperature through the top, and I've got slightly non-cylindrical uh, cups, mugs. Yeah. Did and you... so the surface area at the top of them would be larger for a more full glass. So have more surface area to lose stuff for. Mm. But we haven't modelled for that. Right. We haven't modelled at all. We haven't modelled at all. Still waiting for my big break. Let's get back to this Olympic stuff, shall we? Okay. Last we left off, we were thinking maybe you divide by Olympic spend per capita. Of course, the number you end up with is very strange. And also... The scoring system for Olympic medals is also weird because there's like this absolute trumping when it comes to the gold medals. So you could have 20 silver medals and 30 bronze medals, but if a country's got one gold medal, they rank higher than you. Could you do some sort of thing where you measure in various metrics and you kind of average across? So if you do well in sheer numbers of medals and you do well in medals per capita, you're kind of double counting for the same information. 
but the truth will lie somewhere between them. Yeah, the problem is how do you control for the weights? Yeah. I, I've, I've got the list up again for the 2012 Olympics. Oh, yeah? So 2012. That's, uh, I'm placing my stake in the ground of how we pronounce that year. 2012, yeah. <laughs> so when Arthur C. Clarke was um, writing 2001 Space Odyssey, he specifically picked it so that he could start the convention of calling it 2000 and right. rather than 21. 21, which sounds off. 2001. Yeah. Um, but somewhere around the tens of this millennia, we started going with what I think of as the more American, so 2012, 2013. Mm. Um, and I think it was towards the end of, so 2009 in my head is 2000 and, whereas 2010 is a, I could go either way on it. Really what we should just do is just take off 2000 and just call it 12. Yeah. Or even better, even better, you add one to all of them and then you take off 2000 and then you actually have something to base it on. So you know our current uh, year system is based on the birth of uh, Jesus Christ as, as estimated by some priests at some time. Yeah. Well, so you could just do it by after the release of the Matrix movie. Which is the most seminal event in the last, you know, 20, 30 years. 99. Yeah, 1999. So you add one to all of them, and then uh, that's the new year. So Kyrgyzstat, in a nutshell, a uh, science um, explaining YouTube series, they've got their own calendar system. So they call this the year 12,018. So they've added 10,000 to each of the years. Oh, this is the, an- it- the anthropic years. Yes. Yes. So the idea is year zero or year one is kind of the start of... Um, agricultural revolution start of humans I, I think I may have read something from the Long Now Foundation that was talking about that as well yeah the Long Now Foundation yeah. being a group of people who are building a, a clock that only completely ticks around every 10,000 years I like these long projects you, you've got the uh, the song which is playing incredibly slowly as well on a, an organ right the song that will never repeat for 2,000 years was it they had it in the Olympic uh, in the Olympic they they had it in the Millennium Dome, I believe, when it was the World Fair in the Millennium Dome. Yep. Yeah. So, back to what I was saying. For the 2012 <clears throat> Olympics, uh, the only countries which do well, both in terms of sheer number of medals and medals per capita, are Great Britain and Australia. Which, I mean, I feel we can't do that because it's giving our own country too much credit. Yes. We can't be the ones to propose that system. But we did do quite well in 2012. We did have a kind of home advantage. It's a lot easier to get your Olympians to the site if it's in London. And I bet we sunk a lot of money into it. Although not much on flights. But maybe it evens out. So the USA comes in 50th per capita. Right. And China comes in 73rd. But China has a massive population to count for. Yeah, where does India come? Uh, I haven't got it up. It's not in my top ones. Okay. Um, and the Excel file I did this on was about two years ago. Sure. No worries. I'll put a link to this article in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, Alaric's website's quite good. It has a wealth of stuff on it. If you're ever hankering for more mathematical things, just go back on uh, alarickstephen.com. Uh, 
I quite like it as just an extension of my mind. I know that that information is there. I know where to find it. And so I don't have to remember anything anymore. Mm, I, you know, and if somebody ever asks you, where is my mind? You'll go, alaricsteven.com. Yep. Yeah. My goal is anytime a student asks me any kind of pop maths question or anything like interesting in maths that's kind of known to cult maths people. I can have a conversation, and then I can end it with, and if you want to have more, here's the article I wrote on it. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm doing quite well on that metric. You are. You constantly say, oh, I've got this thing about this thing. The problem is remembering. You have to remember. Mm. Are there any, do you ever go through and there's articles and you don't remember writing that? No. Although I wouldn't remember them. Right. It's an unknown unknown. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thank you for that. Cool. Little, little diversion. So, why am I thanking you? It was my puzzle. You're welcome. You're, you're very welcome. This is a, a problem I heard. One of the people that helps out at work, um, he does some tutoring with some maths people, his son, doing a maths degree, got a sheet of interesting problems to work on. And one of them, we've come up with a kind of solution, but it's just so surprising that I kind of can't accept it. I'll tell you the problem, and then I'll tell you a related problem, which I think is the way to think about it. And then we'll uh, we'll kind of get our minds blown. Okay. So the problem is this. Moriarty and Watson are in a room, and there's a pack of cards. And it's a normal pack of cards, 52 cards in there. Um, they are laid out in a line, face up, in whatever order Moriarty chooses and Watson can swap the positions of any two cards so he gets one swap so he could swap the three of clubs with the five of diamonds and then he leaves the room and coming in through a different door Sherlock Holmes arrives and all of the cards at this point have been turned face down they they keep their position they're still in order but Sherlock can't see where any particular card is. Then Moriarty says, find, and then he, he picks whichever card he likes. So find the King of Spades. Sherlock gets 26 tries to do it. Um, so he, he can check half of the cards. So you can check one, see what it is, then you can check another, and so on. Um, they all know what the situation is going to be beforehand. And Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson can come up with some sort of strategy beforehand for doing this. So Sherlock can tell um, Watson which two to swap. Um, Watson doesn't know which card Moriarty is going to say. So he's swapping them without knowing which card he's trying to help Sherlock get. Right. What's the strategy here? Can I react to this before we do the way of thinking about it? Yep. You're not swapping two. You're choosing one and you're placing it in a very specific location. I think that's equivalent. Yeah. And then the other one's just collateral damage. Okay. That is as far as I can go with this. So there's probably some kind of encoding of information about where a bunch of stuff is. And you get 26 tries anyway. Yeah. So... Without any swaps, you've got a half chance of getting it. Right. 
but with swaps, you can. Very interesting. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'd be happy to, to hear a bit more of thought around this. Okay, so I, I'm going to tell you a related problem, and this one's a bit more famous, and I think it's the same idea behind. I think the Sherlock thing is just a kind of front for it. It's a problem from number theory. Um, as often with these sort of puzzles, it's going to be centred around prisoners. I don't know why we have lots of problems with prisoners often wearing hats. Because you can withhold information from them. You have full power over these individuals. Mm. Yeah. Um, we've got 100 prisoners, and they're all wearing shirts with the number 1 up to 100. One each. Um, they're going to be led into a room, one by one, where there are 100 boxes. On the front of the box are numbers, 1 to 100, in order. Inside each box, deal or no deal style, there is another number from 1 to 100, but they're not necessarily in the right boxes. So you open up box number 1, it might say 37. Again, uh, each number is contained in exactly one box. So you've got the numbers 1 to 100 somewhere inside those boxes. Sure. Prisoner number 1 enters the room, and they can open a box and check inside. And their goal is to find whatever number is on their shirt. They get to pick 50 out of the 100 boxes, so they get to check half of them. Once they've done and all the boxes have been closed again, the next person is led in. And they try to do the same. If all 100 prisoners manage to find their number, then everyone goes free. If anyone fails, then they all get shot. Rude. What's the strategy here? You can kind of see how they're related. Yeah. So if you were just doing it randomly, it seems abysmal, your probability of succeeding. Because each person looks like they have a half chance, and so 1 over 2 to the power of 100 is tiny probability of getting it right. Right. It's about 10 to the minus 31. Sure. Although one, you know, one box is taken away. What? Well, if the first person finds their box, they're going to keep it, right? Or do they have to put oh, no. it back? All the boxes are closed. Again. So each person faces exactly the same situation. They've still got 100 boxes. Okay. And they all have to do it. Yep. And they're not allowed to move them around? No. They're all in the same order. Okay, so the 50% thing's interesting, because it makes me think of odds and evens. I have to be very careful saying that. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> it's ruined, that phrase. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing. It also reminds me of binary. I've heard problems yep. in the past where the solution is to encode things in binary. So maybe this is one of these. Um. Hmm. Okay. Here's a, a potential strategy which works surprisingly well. Like, much better than you would think it would. Uh, prisoner number one goes in. They open box number one. Yep. Would they see whatever number's on it? So, say, number 37. They then go to box number 37, and they open that. Yeah. And they keep doing that until they find their one. So it's like you're following a path laid out for you. You will get your number if the cycle which contains it is smaller than 50, or 50 itself. Sure, yeah. And so everyone in that cycle will find theirs within the 50. And everyone in all the other cycles, could only be one other cycle, it could be lots of smaller ones, will also find theirs within the 50. Yeah, that's true. It's like each time you've got a half chance, but these things aren't independent of each other. 
So either the boxes are laid out so that the cycles are no longer than 50, or they're not. Right. It ends up that about 31% of the time there is no cycle longer than 50. And so about 31% of the time you will win. Everyone gets to go through. 31% of the time. Right, because there's different... Because as, as the length of a cycle increases, there's like more ways of making it. It's something to do with... Something to do with uh, uh, daisy chains getting all condensed and squashed up yeah. together. Yeah. It's actually really hard to work out what these um, probabilities are. Yeah, I can imagine. I first worked on this problem in a different guise a couple of years ago. I went on holiday uh, with some friends. We rented a, a cottage down in Cornwall. And one of the games we played that weekend was... It was called Assassin. So everyone was given the name of one of the other people in the group by putting their name in, into a hat and drawing it. If you drew your own name, you just drew again. You were given a name of an object... And you were given a place. Yep. And the idea was you had a target to kill and you killed them by making them pick up that object in that place. You weren't allowed to just force the thing into their hand. They had to do it of their own volition. And what it creates is a weekend where everyone just refuses to pick up anything. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you successfully killed your target, you inherited their next target. The idea being to be the final one standing. Okay. One of the questions which comes up is, how likely is it that there's a loop of everyone? Sure, Or could you have smaller loops? Could you have the name of someone who would also have yours? Right, and I bet sub-games emerge all the time. Yeah. And so you could work out for N people what the probability is of getting a cycle of N. There were definitely no one cycles, because if you drew your own name, you put it back in and drew another one. But there could be a two cycle. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so I remember trying to work on it, and it, it ended up being hard. But is is this same idea? How likely are cycles to happen? Um, I, I've got the formula which gives the thirty one percent for the hundred boxes thing. So it ends up as one minus one over fifty one plus one over fifty two plus one over dot 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 dot, dot up to one over a hundred. Right. Which ends up as 0.31183. It's, it's a horrible number. Yeah, that is a horrible number. It's rational. Because it, we made it with a whole lot of fractions. But it's horrible. Um, if you increase it to 1,000 prisoners and they get to check 500 boxes, it works out as 0.30735. Oh so no. It's tending it's, towards it's, something. It is tending towards something. It tends towards 30.685%. Is that analytically writable? I, again, it's rational, but I don't know what what's special about it. Oh, of course, it's rational. Yes, sorry, of course it is. Uh, well, it's not, it's not as obvious with this one because it's the tending to. Mm. But yeah, the things which are tending towards it are made out of a whole lot of fractions. Actually, I'm going to revoke my statement. I don't know if it's rational. Of course, well, of course, it's built out of fractions. It's constructed from fractions. How could it not be rational? Is the limit of things which are built from fractions. Right, because you can construct pi from things that are built out of fractions. Yeah. Well, what's that pi constructor? It's like 4 minus a third plus a fifth minus a seventh or something like that. Pi squared over 6 is 1 over 1 squared plus 1 over 2 squared plus 1 over 3 squared dot dot dot. 
Right. It's quite nice. It's quite nice. And play square over six is definitely not rational. Right, where were we? I don't we've know. Tangents within tangents. Uh, That's fine. Where were we? <laughs> what was the problem? So, it was originally the Sherlock Holmes one. I introduced you to the uh, 100 boxes with prisoners. Then we talked about my holiday in Cornwall where we were playing Assassin. And we were talking about the cycles we were in it. Yeah. And then we were talking about uh, that tended to... Oh, and then we talk about rational, rational numbers. Right, so, listeners, we're going to rewind, pull ourselves out, out of Inception, back to the top-level conversation. Yeah, of, this is the last ten minutes of Inception. Of, yeah, yeah. We're climbing up back through. It's collapsing. Um, I'm going to be very old in a pagoda somewhere. Um, <laughs> so, Moriarty and Sherlock. So, I imagine, so, the, the, the solution there is to... Um, Watson can look for cycles. Yes. And so the best thing for Watson to do is to make two cycles of 26 somehow. Or fewer. Yeah, that's it. So he looks at it, sees if there are any cycles before. There will be at most one, which is more than 26. Because otherwise you'd have two cycles which were longer than 26 which would add up to more than 52 cards correct so he sees if there's any cycle which is longer he then breaks it up at the 26th makes it loop back to itself then when he goes away Sherlock Holmes comes in and then tries so say Moriarty says uh, card number 3 notice you can have a consistent numbering pattern between Sherlock and Watson it's like the cards just say 1 to 52 on them. Yeah. So Moriarty says the equivalent of card number 3. Sherlock Holmes goes to card number 3, turns over, follows the cycle around, and within the 26 will get to the right card. 100% of the time. Oh, you always make sure that the card in that position is in... No, I don't, I don't understand how this works 100% of the time. So you have... A big loop and a series of smaller loops. Yep. Or you could have two loops of 26. You could, but you can't make that happen. No. The key is that you're starting at whichever number Moriarty says. So if Moriarty says whatever you're calling cart number three, you go to cart number three, and cart number three will be somewhere within that loop. Ah, everything will always be inside a loop of 26 or less. Yeah. So you go to that one and at whatever you want. But but how do you know that card number three will be inside the loop that starts at three? This is where I got stuck. Um, it, it's just a mental trap. It, it's definitely within that loop because it, it's part of that cycle. It can't be in the other loop because that loop itself talks about the number three. It's perhaps easier to see with smaller number of cards. No, I know I've got it. I've got it. Yeah. Because okay. e- because it's a loop, if you're in that one, there will be, by the nature of the fact that it is a loop, there will be a card that refers back to it at the end of yep. the loop. So you'll go yep. all the way around, and you're right at the end, 
you'll you'll get there. And if you're Watson, you'll analyze all the loops and you'll break up the biggest one because yep. the biggest one will always be twenty seven or more. If you know, yep. if, if if it's undesirable. Um, what, what do you do if they're all made of small loops? I guess it doesn't really matter. That's fine. Imagine you've got a loop of one. Well, then when you pick up the card, you've solved it. Right. If, if you've got a loop of two, that's just two cards that point each other to each other. Yep. And again, that's fine. It's like 26 is the worst case scenario. Sure. And you can just about still do that. Yeah. Mm. I, I find this... It seems wrong. It does seem wrong. <laughs> and that 100 box spawn with the prisoners... Again, it seems far too likely. Well, the prisoners, what happens... Oh, yeah, we talked about probabilities there. Sorry. Keeping track. Yeah. 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 So even with a million prisoners, and you get to pick half a million boxes, you still get it correct about 30% of the time. Well, I mean, that makes total sense. I, I mean, it's now you've explained it. Hmm. It feels wrong, but it's right. Those are the best problems. Uh, my mind's telling me no. <laughs> it's the other way around my mind's telling me yes but my body's telling me no I don't know how the rest of the song goes right so feedback yep uh, ducks uh oh we got it all wrong oh no <laughs> we ducked up ah that was my joke oh that's true Alaric texted me that joke earlier and I just rethought of it as though it was mine so, um, we we got someone tweeting us, um, at Murky on Twitter, um, who is a physicist, and pointed out that we got quite a lot of stuff to do with shockwaves wrong. Uh, you mean uh, everything to do with shockwaves wrong? I'm partially blaming you on this one, Alex. Oh, yeah. As you, present, you presented it as, let's talk you through the solution because it's really easy. And by the solution, I kind of thought, like, what my solution was. And we need to have that caveat in the show going forward, which is that we're probably wrong all the time. And, uh, you know, it's about the it's about the journey. But, you know, let's go into exactly how wrong we were on this duck thing. Yeah, we'll correct our mistakes when we know we're wrong. Also, just a minor one. Uh, in the last show, I said that the first Cube film was Cube Prime. It's Cube Zero. Cube Zero. Is there mm. a film called Cube Prime? Uh, not yet. This is the more important piece of feedback, which is the, uh, <laughs> the names of the Cube films. <laughs> As, as important as duck shockwaves are, I think it's important that we, you know, uh, an important, you know, piece of the Western canon as the Cube films is uh, correctly, correctly reported, Alaric, and I can't believe you would do that. Cube Zero makes a lot more sense as the name. Is no, the one before Cube One? Oh, it was a prequel. Yep. Okay. Right, ducks. Yes. So, uh, if a duck is stationary, um, let's say it's just bobbing up and down in the water. Mm-hmm. It's got concentric circles coming out as surface waves. Yes. If it starts moving slowly forwards, then it's not catching up with the waves going in front of it. Right. So, uh, imagine a circle coming out from the duck. It's travelling along at whatever the carrying speed of the water is. Uh, it's usually called C. Mm-hmm. And if the velocity of the duck, V, is less than C, then it won't be catching up with that circle. And it's only when you catch up with that circle that you make the trail behind you, the kind of triangle. Right, otherwise you're making a kind of egg shape. Yes. Mm. Once your speed matches it, uh, that's called Mach 1, 
That's a big um, line. Is that a line? Yes. Right. And it's a line coming out where it makes 90 degrees or 45 degrees, depending on how you're thinking about it. Mm. Um, after that point, there's a formula for it. Okay. And the formula is sine theta, where theta is the half angle of the cone, is C over V. Sine is C over V. Yeah. Interesting. So V is the hypotenuse. Uh, yep. And a V is which one? A v is the speed of the duck. Speed of duck. So the hypotenuse V sine theta equals C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that's kind of what we were thinking. The the C was the the was at the ninety degree angle to the duck, and that the V. No, we had the V as the uh, as the adjacent. Yeah. yeah, we had it the wrong way around. The v we had the, the wrong right angle triangle that we were drawing. Because, yeah, we do the wrong right-angle triangle because we were thinking of waves as this 2D thing that just sort of goes outwards, when in actuality, waves propagate as circles. So, yeah, it shifts the right-angle triangle and, and puts the right-angle in a different place. As a bit of a sanity check on this formula, if V is smaller than C, then the ratio C over V is some number greater than 1, oh. which doesn't have any solutions for Si. Yeah. No real solutions. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely real. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you dare go down that road. <laughs> uh, maybe for, uh, like, season two or something. <laughs> um, when V gets to C, sine theta equals one, which is when theta equals 90. Yes. So the angle that comes out of the line that goes out the back of the duck is 90 degrees at that point, which makes sense because... That's the straight line shockwave, you know, can't escape, sound barrier type experience. Yep. Yeah. And then when the duck gets faster, that line, that starts to become an angle, like a cone. Not a cone, like a triangle behind the duck. Uh, let's also talk about our assumption that they're actually 3D half cones. Yes. So there's a difference here between surface waves and pressure waves. On the surface, you've got it kind of bumping up and down like nice sine waves, um, those happen for much lower speeds of duck. To get pressure waves under the water, you have to be going thousands of metres per second. Right. Yes, pressure waves are very fast. The speed of sound in air is, if I remember rightly, 330 metres per second. Yeah. So you're going to be making eggs again. What's the fastest bird? Is that... Close to that. The fastest bird is the peregrine falcon, which I've just mispronounced. You know, ducks are very fast, actually. Mallards have, I think they have the fastest straight line flying speed in the animal kingdom. Um, but the peregrine falcon... It's 390 kilometers per hour. Did you do the conversion? Peregrine falcon. 82 meters per second. So... Not even a peregrine falcon is making the shock waves or in air. I'm getting 108.3 meters a second. I just googled peregrine falcon speed meters per second. Oh, I see. Either way, it's still, uh, yeah, not nearly quick enough. It's still making eggs in the air. Interesting that those are very different numbers. Hello, Rick. When you said, how fast is the fastest bird? Yep. Can you imagine... <laughs> A bird breaking the sound barrier. 
That makes sense. <laughs> That's the real sense check. <laughs> you, you, you're not like in the, you know the cliffs of Tuscany and there's some falcon stooping and causing sonic booms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Perhaps we should have thought of that. <laughs> now some animals do create sonic booms isn't there like a little claw on a shrimp or something ah the mantis shrimp mm. mantis shrimp is one of those ones that comes up a lot in science programs because it's so weird but don't mantis shrimp also see they can see polarised light differently Like, yeah so the number of different cones that we have uh, so you have rods and cones in your eye and uh, one of them is to see uh, brightness levels and the other is to see colour. Can't remember which way around there. We have three, I think it's cones. Yep. Which means we have a colour system built on three primary colours. No. Uh-uh. Wrong. It's not three Ooh. primary colours. It's red, green and blue. Um, and they peak at red, green and blue, which is why we do why we have our computer screens done with red, green and blue lights as well. Um, I know about this because I'm colourblind, so I had to look into this. So I'm green deficient, which means that the uh, the, the, the reception peak on my green cone... Uh, is is lower. It's, I, okay. I, I have a damped green cone response, uh, but my red and blue are, are perfectly fine. So yes. So anyway, so we we have three of those, and the mantis shrimp is. Uh, I think it's twenty one. I heard really twenty six, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have a lot, and I guess that's for doing different colours. But I also heard they can perceive different polarizations of light differently as well. So they're very pretty, and we don't really know why they have so many different cones. But it may be a mating thing, just looking at each other and trying to pick out the details. Mm. Typically, things that need lots of colours have lots of cones. So butterflies have five cones. Nice. Because they're looking at flowers. Yeah. Uh, dogs only have two. Yeah, don't they have like blue and yellow? Those the peak or something like that. I know that them finding a red ball in a green field is hard. Yes, that's hard for me is as well. For you? That's hard for me as well. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I don't. I have two. I'm green deficient, so I can kind of make it out. But it is it gets a little tricky. Hooray for feedback. If you want to feedback on anything else that we may have got wrong, uh, reach out to us on Twitter at, at oddsandevenings. Or we have a subreddit, which someone needs to, like, man. Like, we need an admin for that subreddit. If you want to administrate our subreddit and, like, post the episodes when they come out, because apparently the creators of the show, me and Alaric, are too lazy to do that, then... Uh, Feel free. Feel free. Um, reach out to us. Uh, we're both currently the admins on the subreddit. And, uh, you know, message us and uh, don't uh, don't vandalize it. That'd be great. So thank you for joining us this evening on Odds and Evenings. Uh, I have been Alex and Alaric has been Alaric. Uh, but if anybody wants to work on that tea problem, feel free. Because, uh, I mean, I'm sure I could do it with a piece of A4 paper and a pencil and, a, you know, a little bit of reference as to what the specific heat of uh, water is. But, you know, it's more fun if you do it. Someone tell us. Another thing I'd like someone to work on is if you've got N friends playing this game of Assassin, where you, if you draw your own name, you draw again. What is the probability of getting a cycle which includes all n. Yeah, and something I'd like someone to do is take a pair of tweezers. I've got this great, I've got this pile of sand in my house, 
and it's in, just totally in the one corner of the room, and it needs moving from to, from that corner to to the other to the other side. It's about three foot high, uh, but you know the tweezers that you know they're not they're not tiny. Um, you know you could probably you know pluck two or three hairs out with one at a time. I just I just need it moving. So if anyone wants to come over and move that one pile of sand to the other side of the room, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let's talk about how satisfied we were with the problem, shall we? Okay. Tea and milk. Or water and water in this case. Well, they turned out the same and that same seemed wrong, so maybe like one out of ten? Yeah. I, I, I'm going high. I'm going four. Okay. I think what I need is better thermometers. Yeah. I think there are some at work which I can plug into a data logger and get some nice graphs. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Mm. I think my my equipment here is just too basic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Olympics, we got a little ways into. I'm feeling pretty similar. I'm feeling pretty poor about that. Um, six. Okay, it's fine. Like, I think that the actual metric should be somewhere between how many medals you get and how many medals you get per capita. And uh, by chance, Great Britain does very well on that metric. Maybe you take, as does Australia. You should take the mean of those rankings and then re-rank those rankings. And you could just keep meaning in various different things. Yeah. But so your per spending thing as well. Put that in. But a mean implies that you're equal equal weighting. So someone's got to decide on those weightings. Yep. And I think it should be the one where uh, Turkey wins. They're big enough. They're yeah. actually really big, aren't they? What's probably ninety million? I don't know. Mm. Big country. Funny enough. Big place. Um, and then the last problem was Sherlock and Moriarty playing cards. Right, which I I understand fully, so I'm going to put an eight on it because that was great. Except you know I didn't come up with it myself, but still, ten. You're going to ten it, but you already knew the answer. Yeah, but I I feel more satisfied having talked it through. Okay. When I was at work, I was umming and ahhing. It, it just felt wrong. <laughs> Good, so thank you for joining us for this evening. Uh, we are on all sorts of places on the internet. I myself am at SpeakMouthWords on Twitter. Uh, we have a show, Twitter, which talks about show things at twitter.com slash oddsandevenings. We've got a website at oddsandevenings.com. Um, Alaric has a place. AlaricSteven.com. So A-L-A-R-I-C step hen. Um, we often talk about the show notes. If you're listening on our website it's literally just under the playable button um, if you're on iTunes then we we put the show notes in the regular place so there's lots of links to things we talk about in the show it's often links to my website of relevant articles and if you're like one of the two people that uses Beyond Pod out there that's where that, you're the best by the way that's the, it's the best podcasting app and the notes are in the right place there as well um, thank you to David Russell, who does our theme music that you can probably hear at the moment. And, uh, and, and thank you to all the listeners for listening to this show. We will see you next time. Good night.
Okay. When I was at work, I was umming and ahhing. It, it just felt wrong. Right, right. Like a dog walking backwards. Yeah. You never see it. You never really see it. Sometimes you do. Um, They're kind of ungainly when they walk backwards. Yeah. Yeah, and they always look behind them as well, like <laughs> losers. Just smash into the wall. What's 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 going to happen? <laughs> Probably going to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the correct decision. 